has helped me so much and now I know how to work with myself instead of fighting myself like ADHD some people view it as a weakness when it's all just it's all in how you use it ADHD was my weakness for years and years and years and then I learned that I had it and now I would say it's one of my strongest points podcast i am your host max Cepeda. welcome back guys it's been we're now in week two we have officially made it to week two of the podcast and i'm feeling good we are now officially getting into the depths of maybe what some of you guys don't know of the aspects of my life and that's what we're really going to be focusing on today because we not only have our first girl on the podcast today we have our first non-teen packed person on the podcast today and i'm so so excited about that for the audience that i have because i want you guys to finally see this new aspect of my life my Guest today is someone who I've known almost going back five years and is someone who I consider one of my truly deepest friends that I've had since then. She is currently a senior at the Home Education Department of Texas, also known as HEP, not to be confused with HEB, the grocery store, just making sure you don't get confused with that. She is also a former alto saxophone player, a former alto singer. She is a hardcore Broadway fan, a dancer, and is currently joining us on the third episode as our first girl joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and only Lily McDonald to the show. Lily, how are you doing today? Yes, hello. How are you doing? I'm chugging along. How are you? I am doing so well. Doing so well. So I want to get us started in the beginning. It is August of 2016, I will say. Holy cow. We, we are basically in the eighth grade. And where, what did, where, wait, set the setting for us. Where are we? Oh, dang. What was that name of that church? It was a very... Was it Nassau Bay Baptist? It was. It was Nassau Bay Baptist Church. Yes. Bay Pack. Yeah. So if the you don't... The amazing co-op of arts and choir and band and that music theory class that everyone dreaded, but at the same time was ridiculously competitive. Right. Exactly. So this co-op we were basically a part of was this performing arts co-op. It was a completely, it was a completely homeschool co-op. It was, I think, about... I don't want to say like a hundred people, but I think it was about like 30, mm-hmm. 40, 50 different families. And it was all ages. It was very much like K through 12, like even probably younger than that. I, I see four-year-olds and five-year-olds remember walking through that building all the time. But yes. um, but this was an environment where I felt like I was in, it was, it was a very interesting environment for me because this was my third or fourth year homeschooling at this point. And I think I could say, and I think you could probably say this because you were at Baypack longer than I was, were the large majority of people who went to Baypack people who homeschooled their whole life, or was it really like a mixed bag of people? Um, to my knowledge, it was people who had been their whole life, or if they had not been homeschooled their entire life, then for most of it, if that makes any sense. Right, yeah. So yeah, yeah. so I was definitely one of the people who was definitely on the lesser end, who was definitely very much exposed to the culture and very much exposed to music and all this stuff going on around the world. And I talked about this on a couple of my previous episodes about how like my very crazy experiences when I first started homeschooling and bringing up stuff that was going on in the world and people not knowing 
in the world what I was talking about. <laughs> and it freaking me out. It legit freaking me out and like the terror that was in me. But um, but no, at Baypack though, we first met though, we were in a choir class together. And it was very much of an experience that I thought was very like, I guess, humbling to me because I was someone who was around music for a long time. I grew up in a choir from the time I was basically eight years old. And when I went to this class, it was very much kind of humbling for me because it saw like how homeschoolers, I guess, had viewed music for a long time. And can you talk about that a little bit about how like Baypack and not just choir, but really just like in that all of its all of its parts, really, whether it was bands or drama or all that stuff, how it was basically like a place for homeschoolers to basically like invest their talent and invest whatever skills they had. Yeah. Um, that Baypack was a very humbling experience for me too. Not going to lie. Cause I also grew up in choir. Um, but Baypack was a very unique place still is. I know several people who are still going, um, where basically as homeschoolers, though we have a little bit more control over our schedule and there's a bunch of opportunities we don't have access to band and choir being offered as like a class in school or whatever. So we don't oftentimes get that exposure. Um, so a place like Baypack where it's just, you show up and you're taught how to read music. And if you have a gift for singing, you can join choir. And later on, I think we started developing um, those special choirs that were audition only. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. We were talking about that. Yeah, and band and stuff. So for the kids that, those of us who are musically inclined but don't have access to things like band and choir on a regular basis, Baypack was an absolutely amazing place. Um, it's where my little sisters discovered their love for being in an orchestra and for singing and my part, my alto saxophone. I mean, it's a really amazing, beautiful place. So. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that's what, probably the number one thing that we can probably say about Baypack. I know a lot of people um, would think just like from listening, just the first five minutes that we like we're describing the best parts of Baypack and then we're going to get into like all the negative stuff. But the truth is there really yeah. wasn't. There really wasn't a lot of negative things about Baypack because there was all this positive energy that surrounded um, just being just participating in music with other people who were being educated the same way that we all were. So it was very much a positive experience in that point. Uh, but just to give you a little bit, just to give you guys a little bit of how I started Baypack. I started Baypack in 2016. I was about in the sixth, I believe, uh, no, I believe I was in the eighth grade. And when I started there, it was it was very much a weird experience because I, I didn't really have a lot of classes, first of all, because I started off basically where I had choir I also did a guitar class there, which was super, super cool, by the way. He was it was taught by a guy who I honestly apparently like knew so much about guitar. He was guy was, I think, like how old was Mr. Wolven? He was like 60, 65. Oh, I, oh, like, he, they, yeah. like man was up there. And um, so we I did that guitar class. And then like and then like you were talking about earlier when we started about this, um, about music theory and about how this was basically like a class that everyone had to take. Everyone had to take music theory at Baypack. Um, regardless of what level you were in. And it wasn't really a level. Like, your parents just really picked it. It wasn't necessarily something yeah. <laughs> that you decided. It's not like you were like, I want to pick five instead of six. No, it was it was very much like a parent-driven thing. And, but it very much, I feel like, kind of like what you were talking about at the beginning, Lily, it was, it was a parent-chosen thing. But once you actually got to the process of it, you could actually see how the students were very much, I don't want to say braggadocious about it, but they were very much in a sense where it's like, ha, I'm in like level seven, you're in like level three. You know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, yeah. There was no day bigger than test day when everybody got the results back. Did you pass? Did you pass? All that stuff. Oh, I got this number. What did you get? Oh, one point lower than me. Hey, at least we'll be in the same class. Maybe I'll share the same table with you. It was funny. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was definitely crazy because I think for the longest time when we were at theory, I think the highest level, like the highest advanced level you could have, I think was like eight. I think it was, was it like seven or eight? It wasn't that high. Seven or eight. Because, yeah, it really wasn't. Yeah. And I realized it wasn't that high, guys, because like a couple weeks after, I remember this distinctly. I went to, I went to, um, what's the name of the guitar store? Oh my gosh, uh, Guitar Center. Yes, I went to a Guitar Center, and I saw on the racks, I saw on the racks of Guitar Center. This was right after I left. I saw on the walls of Guitar Center that there's like all these music books, and they looked very familiar to the ones that were in music theory class. And I was like, wow, this like that looks really familiar. And then I realized that each level is designated for a certain grade level. Right. So it matches yeah. <laughs> the grade level of what you're in. And it goes up not only to 12, but it goes up like past 12. Like it, like there's like a whole like advanced book then at that point. And then I lose it because like I, I cause my dad was me, it was just me and my dad. And I went up to my dad and I'm like, my dad, like those are all the music theory books. So we used it at Bayback. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And he's like, well, what level are you in Max? And I'm like, I'm in level seven. And remind you, I'm a sophomore in high school at this point. And I think, like, and because, like you said, like, it was, like, the highest level in Bayback, I thought yeah. I was, like, oh, wow, I, I must be, like, the smartest person here on Theorem. We, we're, like, the smartest people together when, actually, we're doing seventh grade theory. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not even doing high school theory. And all of us who are, like, a collection of sophomores and juniors and seniors, some people who are already, like, past that, like, we're all doing seventh grade theory, and we all are acting like we know everything. <laughs> like, it's, it's funny. Like, yeah. no, right? But, like, it makes, like, all of that, I don't want to say, I don't want to say bragging behavior, but it makes all of that kind of seem hypocritical when you look yeah. back on it, right? Yeah, definitely. So, I think, though, it's, I think part of that has to do with a lot of the people that came in to Baypack came in not knowing a single note on the staff like had no idea the first thing about music mm -hmm. and so honestly it is rather impressive that they could get up to that level so fast mm -hmm. but depends on how much you've been taught beforehand exactly yeah it, it is it was pretty funny yeah like i don't know about you but i got just i skipped multiple levels multiple times because just i but uh mm -hmm. probably though i would say the biggest most I think highest level of Baypack and or, or basically the thing that Baypack had going for them, I personally think, was not the choir, it wasn't even our drama department, which in many ways was in shuffle a lot. Um, yep. but it was really the bands that really carried, I think, Baypack forward and really put Baypack forward. And basically, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there were basically all these bands, they're basically like concert bands, basically, that Baypack had. There were three different levels, beginning, concert, and advanced, very simple. And it was very much like a very much like a, a very much like a high school concert band. It very much, if you look at the, if you look basically side by side from, and I know you guys can't see this, but if you look side by side from a Baypack advanced band concert band room to a high school concert band advanced band room, there's not really much difference. There's like the only difference yeah. may be that one's in an actual school building and another's in a church. And that may be like the one difference. <laughs> but, and, but I think we could say, because I was a part of the band for two years, I had the opportunity, I had the amazing privilege of getting to play the French horn, which was an incredible experience. And then you obviously, like you said, had the privilege of playing the alto saxophone. Mm -hmm. What was, I, did you necessarily feel that the people who were a part of band felt like that 
that was really the main reason why they were going to Baypack. That choir and drama were very much like the subsidy, and they were just like the fun things we were getting to do on the side. But band was like the thing that people got competitions for, and the thing that people like practiced all the time for. That was like the thing that people yeah. that drove people to keep coming back. Most definitely, band was the focus, at least you know, like in our friend circles, because well, we were the band kids, but at the same time, I feel the bands were just the center of Baypack pretty much because they're a bunch of homeschool choirs and stuff, but bands, not so much. Right. And also our amazing director, Mrs. Fortley. Love her. Yeah. She's like, she was like seven. She's like 75, by the way. She's like, she's basically like an old soul who like teaches music very old school, but, um, Mm -hmm. but no, she was, but she led the highest level of the band, which was the advanced one, which was mostly eight, nine, 10, 11. Usually we had a couple of seniors at the point. Um, and then we also, and then there was also a concert band, which was about the same age range, but a little bit younger. And then there was a beginning band that was about basically middle school. So it was, it was and, and she led, I believe, she, did she lead all three? I'm pretty sure she led all three. Um, or, in the very, very beginning, she led all three. Uh, when I started saxophone, she was teaching beginning and advanced, mm-hmm. but someone else was doing concert. Gotcha. And by the way, if you're wondering, concert is below advanced, technically. Even though concert sounds more fancy than advanced, I know that's what I was confused by. When I was like, my parents are registering, I was like, oh, I'm going to register for concert. And they're like, no, 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 that's not the highest one. It's like, oh, and they got confused. So I personally would think that concert was higher than advanced, just looking at it on the paper. But that's just me. But but no, what was, like, describe a little bit what the band experience was like. Because in many ways, the band experience can sound like a normal high school band, because it kind of was. But I think the material and the things that we discussed in class were, I think, kind of different from what I've heard from public school band experiences, I think. Yeah, most likely. I would not be surprised if that was the case. Um, yeah, bands pretty much just sound, seems like a normal band. You walk in, you set up your instrument, you go to your designated seat with your fellow I don't know, instruments. Band, bandmates. Instruments, of course. Bandmates. Obviously instruments. I can't do the English thing today. Ah, okay. Like fellow woodwinds, like I sat with the other saxophones. Yeah. Next to them with the clarinets, you know, standard. Yeah, and we, I think um, we had about two of each, I believe. Or mostly we had two of each, I think, of everyone. Because you you had a you had a partner for a long time. In, oh, yeah. And, um, and we still sometimes play together. Yeah, you still sometimes <laughs> play together. You and Lillian still oh, sometimes yeah. play together. That's so crazy. Um, and, uh, but we had about, I think we had about like four flutes. We had like three clarinets. We had um, a bass clarinet who we're going to talk about in just a second. Um, uh, we had one or two trumpets, depending on the year, or depending on the semester. We had myself who was the one French horn. We had a tuba and, and we had a percussionist. So that was very much, it was, it was very much yeah. like a, very much like a simple kind of band, but I wanted to talk about that in just a second because one of the interesting things about Baypack is that at Baypack there were a lot of ranging personalities, and they were very much in the sense oh, yes. because I think when because my sister first of all my younger sister you guys probably know I post on my Instagram a lot about her and her theater experience because she's been doing theater for basically going on ten years at this point. I hadn't really met anyone else in homeschooling who was as interested into theater at that point because I was like she was my theater kid at that point. Her and her friends. Like going to basically see a show every single every two or three months, basically with her. Like that was my theater experience. That was where I like got my juice of like what was going on in theater. I guess. 
until really I met you, because I think when we <laughs> met, I think you definitely were someone who was very much, very much connected with my younger sister about theater. And can you talk about like how I guess you got into theater or because obviously you got into it, I'm assuming much before you got into payback, but like, where was, oh, yeah. like, what was, what was the thing about theater for you growing up then? That, yes, I do remember that, Newsies. Newsies. Original Broadway cast of Newsies. Which was 2011, I believe. If Maybe. I, if I'm looking at, uh, I, I legit typed. Uh, but no, the original, the original movie of Newsies came out in 1992, is when the first adaptation of Newsies came out. And that was a movie. Uh, but the musical Newsies came out in, yes, 2011. It originally premiered in 2011, made its Broadway debut in 2012, I think won six Tonys, and was written, it was basically written by Alan Menken, who's done Little Mermaid and a bunch of other Disney stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. So, but no, but Newsies was the first show that you were like, this is like, this is really dope. This is like something that I want to listen to oh, yeah. more often. Definitely. I remember, okay, yeah, it's starting to come back. I was in voice lessons at very young age like seven or eight years old because my dad actually grew up with someone who ended up being a vocal teacher and an opera singer and so she would teach me and eventually my little sister voice lessons in exchange for my dad teaching her children piano and she did you i'm assuming you've heard of nats nats yeah nats i'm not sure if it's is is nats like a name of a studio no it's a competition it's a scholarship competition within the u.s oh where, wow no i've never heard of it. yeah okay it's a really fun competition where basically a crap ton of people show up at the designated locations and there are specific judges and everything and different singers of all different ages present singing portfolios of themselves perform for the judges and then there's different tiers and categories like opera, musical theater, all of that. And it goes from local to state, upwards and upwards and upwards, you know. And it does give out really nice scholarships for the people who end up making it to the top. Um, My dad actually accompanied quite a few people who were also being taught by my voice teacher um, in those competitions. And I went along as... I would flip pages. I would just flip the pages while he would play piano. Flip the pages of the scripts. Yeah, like the script and the music as he was accompanying them. Wow. Really then you were like, wow, this is like a really cool like genre, mm-hmm. I guess, at that point. But like oh, what yeah, do you was but was he playing Newsy's music? Was that like an, another part of that fixation or was it a different or were there like multiple uh-huh. different shows, I guess? Because I, I would think for a competition it would be multiple shows, multiple different like studios yeah. and productions and that sort of thing. But it was it like a, a, but did you see like an alignment, I guess, how like, even though these were all these different shows, I guess they all kind of sound the same. And it was all the sounding of the same that you were like, this is like, this kind of music is definitely something that I definitely like now, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember two people in particular were singing songs from Newsies one year, actually mm-hmm. my first year doing it. And I absolutely loved those songs. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking into it found you know like a broadway playlist on youtube right. and started listening to it and i just fell in love with the genre and all of it and so every opportunity i got from then on forward i was like theater i want to i want to learn about this i want to do broadway i need to just i loved it absolutely loved it that's definitely something really cool i definitely think that's so cool in the sense that 
like you learned this something from an experience that your dad had and then your dad basically like took you along basically like he basically like he just he didn't like you didn't decide you didn't want to go but he just kind of made you go and it was almost kind of like a happy accident that you were very much kind of exposed to that music at a young age but yeah but mostly i would say on the most part that you definitely have been mostly a fan of musical theater while also wanting to have that opportunity to be an actress yourself i would say from what it sounds like um, yeah it's been more of being a fan and training right a lot of training, training right not much opportunity <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so i definitely think that's pretty interesting and with that i think i want to talk about this because i'm assuming you're not the only theater fan who is going to be listening to the show in the upcoming future because i'm assuming there are a lot of theater people who are listening to the show or at least a mix i would say and with that i want to take a quick moment to quickly reveal something a little bit about myself uh, because the truth is, is that I I consider myself a decent fan of theater. I don't want to say I'm a super hardcore fan like both my sister. Maybe maybe not as much as you possibly. But I wanted to give you this. <laughs> this, this is something I really wanted to do for quite a while. I want to give you guys my top 10 Broadway musicals of the last decade. And this is going back to 2010. Ooh. All right. So you ready for this? All right. So here we go. Yeah. I, I've written down. I've thought about this for a really long time. And I, I think I'm going to go with this. So at number 10... I got Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. Now, this is a show that I think, first of all, doesn't get a lot of recognition because of the very unknown cast. But I think what the show really brings is that it's very much, first of all, it looks like it maybe is, has one of the best set designs, I think, that we've seen in Broadway in a very long time. Like if you've actually seen the set design of the show, it actually looks very much like it's very realistically in ancient times. Not necessarily like... If you want to, like, just to give it a concept idea, like, if you understand how Hamilton takes place in the 1700s, Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet of 1812 looks more like it's in the 19th century than Hamilton looks like it's in the 18th century, if you understand what I'm saying. Like, it's okay. very much that kind of a show, and I think that's one of the reasons why I'm into my top 10. Coming at number nine, I have The Prom, and the reason why I have The Prom on this list is for a couple of reasons. I know... A lot of people have opinions about the prom. A lot of people have very, very, they're varying opinions about the prom, depending on how they view the subject matter and how they view the music and how they view the cast and how they view the Netflix adaptation and all these different things. But I want to ask you about that because I want to at least get your perspective on this. Do you have a specific view of the prom where you're like the music overweighs the subject matter? Or do you think the subject matter is not necessarily age appropriate? And that's why the prom should not be as praised as it has been since really its release. Hmm. You know, that's an interesting question. I I think it's an amazing show. Um, I respect the art behind it. The art within it and behind it and all of the effort that it took is absolutely phenomenal. The talent that it has is amazing. Hmm. Um, just judging it as a show, just based on the quality of a show, it is amazing. Um, subject matter, I think without... That can be sensitive depending on who you're talking with. Yeah. Um, I personally, it's it's an interesting thing for me to listen to. I haven't really fully made up my mind as mm. to the subject matter. Um, it's a very interesting plot in a story, though. Plot in a story. <laughs> it's a very interesting plot. Today. It's, a, it's, 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 okay. it's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. Yep, totally can do the English. Yes, yes. that. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, the prom, I honestly, I listen to that soundtrack quite often because I just, I enjoy it. I enjoy the art within it. 
Um, I'm not super sensitive about subject matter, so I yeah. don't really, yeah, in the long run, I don't really care. I'm like, it's a beautiful show, and I love the art, so. Okay. Yeah, I definitely, I yeah. definitely, I definitely like the show. I definitely, I know many, I, and I really wanted to get your opinion on this, because I know very, very opinions. I know people who love the subject matter, and love the fact that it's very much, not only a musical, but it's kind of like an activist musical, like it's a musical uh, talking about an issue that's been talked about a lot over the last 20 years, and there are a lot of people who are Broadway fans who think, like, subject matter is, it's a little bit touchy, but, like, I know a lot of people have varying opinions about it, but I'm glad you did say that. Coming at number eight, I have A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, and the reason why I have this show is, first of all, Daniel Radcliffe is amazing in this show. First of all, if you guys haven't seen the Tony performance of him being in the show, it's unbelievable. But I think one of the reasons I like this show also is because it very much is like, if you're an old school Broadway fan, it's very much like a modern Guys and Dolls. Very much. And it has that very much, very modern kind of Guys and Dolls vibe. So I'm not, it's, it, I feel like it's a show that also I don't think is also brought a lot more mainstream because the soundtrack hasn't gotten as much plays. But A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder is number eight. Number seven, this is this may be controversial to some people, but I'm going to put it at number seven right now, and you can talk to me later. Number seven for me is Kinky Boots. And number really? seven for me is Kinky Boots because I know a lot of people always say maybe it's high should be higher, but Kinky Boots is a show that I think has, first of all, it's maybe one of the more well-known Broadway productions, I think, going outside of the theater community, I think. And, like, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on Kinky Boots. Like, is that necessarily a show... That, like, first of all, have you necessarily gotten a good connection with that show? Do you feel like you always like the music? Or has it necessarily been a show that you feel like a lot of people talk about that you haven't necessarily, like, gotten into, I guess? I honestly don't know too much about the show. I do listen to the soundtrack, though. I really enjoy the music. I think it's really fun. Um... But regarding the actual show, I don't know too much about it. But from what I hear in the soundtrack, I think it's absolutely hilarious yeah it, it's 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 crazy it's so it's so funny in the sense that like there's so many different things that i feel like if a, if if a whole group of guys went to go see kinky boots i think a lot of them would get i don't want to say disgusted but a lot of them would definitely be uncomfortable while watching the show but it just because of the subject matter i guess but uh but anyway number six on this list i have number six is something rotten and something rotten Aha, is yes. dude all the way. Yeah, so, something way. rotten is a show that I think is first of all I think doesn't get I think it's probably the most underrated show I think of the decade because it, it doesn't is. get enough respect I think for what it deserves because first of all the cast of something rotten the original cast of something rotten is truly groundbreaking what they did with that cast about how it was mm -hmm. very much kind of like Hamilton where it was all shapes all sizes it wasn't really mattering who was going to be in what role. But the subject matter, I guess, was so funny in the sense that basically like the first 15 minutes, it's very much kind of like a, um, I'm trying to think of the word, but it's, it's, oh my gosh. But overall, Something Rotten is, first of all, the soundtrack has always been great. I personally oh. think the music has always Amen. been and And that's one of the reasons why I think Something Rotten is a top six show of the decade. Now we go in the top five. This is the up, this is the top half. Now we're getting into really okay. crazy stuff here. Number five on this list is come from away this show is Beautiful so show. so good and it tells an amazing story it's if you haven't if you don't know what come from away is please go look it up it's an incredible show it's been touring for at least a few years now but come from away i think is definitely one of the more heartfelt stories i think really if you go back on broadway i think there's going to be one more heartfelt story that i'm going to get to later on on this list but this show in many ways is 
it first of all it's historically accurate and it very much has the interpretation that it's a show that very much wants to interpret history right and i think the people yes. who were the real life interpretations of characters in come from away very much appreciate the show very much so that's why it's number five for me number four number four number four number four number four on this list now i'm interested what is it not to say i wasn't okay i know this is a little bit biased and i know a lot of people are going to say they have different interpretations of this but number four for me is finding neverland and the reason why number four for me is finding neverland and i know a lot of people are going to be a little confused when i say this matthew morrison has always been one of my favorite actors. He, pro he probably is easily one of my favorite like Broadway actors going back to his days with Glee. And I wanted to talk to you about this because I don't know if you remember Finding Neverland six years ago, but do you remember, I guess, how it was very much, because I remember like the first time seeing it was like being performed, I think it was like Thanksgiving Day Parade, which honestly, oh, how yeah. do people not watch Broadway on Thanksgiving Day Parade anyway? Yeah. But, I, but oh my gosh, remember, I will only watch that parade for the Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people watch Thanksgiving Day Parade for the Broadway. But no, but do you have an experience of Finding Neverland? Do you remember Finding Neverland and the impact that it had in kind of like being, I don't want to say a sequel to Peter Pan, but kind of like, I guess, kind of like a prequel of the guy who told the story yeah. of Peter Pan. So it kind of much just kind of like more of a play, but. Yeah, I do remember that. That show was, I mean, it was groundbreaking for its time, yeah. for its time, as if it's not within the last decade. But yeah, it's a, a very beautiful unique show and just gotta be a nerd for a second the music is so well done oh my word yeah so i definitely so that's one of the reasons why finding neverland is number four on this list and now we go to the top three and in my opinion you can really orchestrate this top three whatever you, you want i personally think these three even though i'm ranking them one two and three they could really be shuffled in any other way because each three, I think, are not only groundbreaking for this decade, but really groundbreaking for all of musical theater in general. Number three is Evan Hansen. And Evan Hansen, I think, really showcases something I think that we haven't seen in Broadway in a long time. Because Evan Hansen is a show that, kind of similar to The Prom, kind of similar to Fun Neverland, is very much a show basically based on something that is currently going on in society right now that we need to shed more light on. In The Prom's case, it's the issue with the LGBTQ community. And in Evan Hansen's case, it's the current struggle with teens and mental health. And I think that's something that I think a lot of people really, really connected with, I think, right from the show's jump. What was your impact to Evan Hansen from the moment that I came? Holy cow. The moment I was exposed to Dear Evan Hansen, like you said, really, really just immediately identified. Um, especially because I was working through quite a similar struggle at the time. I mean, I was working through um, recovering from self-harm, discovering I had depression and anxiety and PTSD and ADHD and all of this stuff. Right. Um, that, I mean, to be honest, it's really, really freaking hard. Um especially whenever you're just learning about it and don't know what you're doing. I remember that Dear Evan Hansen soundtrack. That was my soundtrack. That was mm. just that storyline, that whole, just the whole show really just was kind of like my companion in a way. As soon as I just, whenever I felt like people just couldn't understand or I was really, really struggling with holding on just as myself, 
I would just turn that on and just basically be comforted. It was mm. a wonderful life-saving show for me. Yeah, that that's truly cool. I think, honestly, I know right now the their reviews on the current movie adaptation of the film are very mixed from what I've heard. And But from what I know, Dear Evan Hansen is a show that I think has changed a lot of people. And it's changed a lot of people's lives in the sense... Um, and really Ben, Ben Plask and the other guy who writes for that show have really just, their careers have basically just gone on from then. I mean, from what they did following that with The Greatest Showman and then a bunch of other projects that they've done since then where they're now writing, they basically co-wrote Beetlejuice. Like it's, they've done so much yeah. now at this point when it comes to the theater community, they very much have cemented their legacy in that standpoint. I'm going to breathe easy when I do this because I know a lot of people who are both involved in Broadway and not involved with Broadway might get mad at me with this. Because number two is Hamilton for me. I was and about to say number two and, say Hamilton. and number two is Hamilton. First of all, let me get all pageantries out of the way. Lemon Will Miranda, the greatest musical genius in the last 20 years. Number one. So let's just let's just put that aside right now. Number two, <laughs> easily the best assembled original Broadway cast I think we've had in maybe 30 years, going back to possibly Chicago. That's number two. Number three. Easily a show that has extended the musical theater genre past in into the mainstream. It launched it into the mainstream, and now more people talk about musical theater in this generation because of Hamilton. Period. End of story. Yeah. And but the reason why it's not number one is for a very simple reason. I think it's overplayed. I think it's overplayed. And I think it's overplayed. And the reason why I think it's yeah. overplayed. Is not for bad reason. It is not discrediting the musical genius of Lynn. It is not discrediting the great soundtrack of this show. It's not discrediting the fact that there is no dialogue in the show. It's 46 songs of two and a half hours. This is a show that I think deserves all of the praise it gets. I really do believe that. But I think that the reason that the, the side effect of bending musical theater into the mainstream, that which is what this show did, which is what Hamilton did, the side effect of that is that it's overplayed. I think that's the side effect of that. And we, I, I think we all have our experiences of Hamilton. I think we all have our experiences of our first exposure to the show. We all have our experiences of people from all different quarters of our life talking about the show, where it was like this universal thing that everyone loved and almost very few people hated. But now I want to get to number one. And I really want people to understand me when I say this, that this show, first of all, it's the oldest show on this list. Every single show came out before, after this show. And this show, in many ways, I think transcends musical theater. And in many ways, I know for someone who is a who has been a follower of Jesus for quite some time, I found this show funny. I found this show entertaining. I found this show incredibly captivating in a show that I know a lot of people have very mixed opinions with. But screw it, because the best show of the decade, in my opinion, is the Book of Freaking Mormon. This show, ah, yes. the show of the decade is the Book of Mormon. I got the I had the incredible opportunity to see the show with my younger sister, just us two. It wasn't even my parents, just us two in New York for a theater conference that she was having that week. And this show is, first of all, it's so groundbreaking. It's written and directed by the creators of South Park, if you guys don't know. And if we know how groundbreaking South Park is, we don't even need to know about this show. Like this show in many ways, the Book of Mormon is a show that I think a lot of people I think can relate to. Because it not only talks about, I think, the Mormon faith in some way, but it really just gives a lens on how we all think about religion. You know, it gives us yeah, a lens on how we all think of religion. Because the truth is, 
we first of all, I'm a happy believer in Jesus. You know, and so are you. And I think a lot of people yeah. who listen to the show are. But there are many times in our faith, in our walk with Christ, that we look at things in the Bible, we look at things that our pastors tell us to do, and we look at things in our church and we say, Man, that's really weird. That's just, this is yeah. really weird. That's really weird. And that's it's no offense. And that's obviously no <laughs> offense to anything. And one of the things that this show, I just love about this show, I'm like, I can't even stop smiling thinking about it, is because it just shows these things that we, it reveals to us that even as professors of faith, even as pastors, even as people who are in, who are deeply religious, we ourselves are flawed. We really are. And that's what this show, I think, reveals. It shows that being a Christian, being a Mormon, being, being Islamic, being a part of any religion comes with its own flaws. Every, every religion will come with its own flaws. And I think that this show really points it away from, because a lot of people thought that this show was offending Christians. A lot of people thought that this show maybe was offending the Mormon community and put it in a bad light. But I think it puts not only every religion, it, it puts really every religion in both a good and bad light. Because it's good because it intrigues people to want to be more religious, number one. And number two, it showcases to people that religion is not this flowy thing. Like, to call yourself religious is not, like, something that shouldn't be bad for people. Like, calling yourself religious shouldn't be a bad thing. You should be proud to be a Christ follower. You should be proud to be a Christian. You should be proud to talk about it in every single conversation that you're in. And that's what the show talks about. And that's why I love the show. Do you have any thoughts yeah. about Book of Mormon? Oh, my gosh. Book of Mormon. That I agree with absolutely everything you just said. And... I just, the show's so funny, and I mean, as a tap, whoa, gosh, yeah, as someone who's graduating a tap dance school this year, I absolutely love the choreography, like, it's really freaking impressive, mm -hmm. but I also just love how the show kind of makes the point that in religion and beliefs and whatever it is, you don't, religion doesn't, you don't need to be 100% totally serious all the time. Right. Which, I mean, beliefs and religion are a serious thing, yes, but that doesn't mean... That, like, if you, if, you, if, if you disobey a commandment, you're going to hell, basically. That, that's basically yeah. kind of like that kind of thinking. Like, yeah, I like how it... I really like how the Book of Mormon put things in a light. Like, yes, this is what we believe. But it's also kind of funny. And just... I don't want to say making fun of yourself, but... Noticing the funny things going on around you mm -hmm. that include you, as well as like religion's a very serious thing and it means a lot, and it's also kind of funny. So learning to appreciate that too, I absolutely love. And the whole the whole musical cracks me up. It's yeah. just too funny. <laughs> it's it's too funny. It's it's just too funny. And and you know only the people who created South Park, which is already a groundbreaking show on its own would have the 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 intelligence of humor to put that together. Before we go, I did want to talk about one last thing um, with you, and that is the fact that um, you recently discovered, I guess, something about yourself, I think, that I think is pretty interesting. Um, and you told me about this. You recently, if I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, and you can talk to this in, in the more detail, but you kind of mentioned it also when you were talking about Jerevan Hansen, um, you were recently diagnosed with ADHD, and I thought that was really interesting because I know a lot of people, that's now becoming, I think, a more and more frequent thing with a lot of my, a lot of my friends. So what's your experience been with like that so far? Yeah, it's honestly, whenever I was first diagnosed, it threw me for a loop. Um, 
which is probably because like I've just grown up with this mindset that you know ADHD I was like oh ADHD those people they're just like they were either kind of pitied or at least in the circles that I operated in people were like oh people with ADHD they're like oh poor people they can't control themselves mm. pity them or they were absolute monsters who couldn't control themselves um and so whenever I was diagnosed with it I it threw me for a loop I was like wait what hang on it was like if i was a computer i totally short-circuited um but that's something i'm glad that our culture has been changing a lot more recently um and after processing it it makes so much sense and it's i'm so glad i learned because i don't have to fight myself on everything anymore because in the past like yeah i've just learned to accept i don't think or operate in the same way as everyone else does. That's why I can do two weeks worth of homework in two hours, but literally be frozen and stare at a blank wall for upwards of eight hours and have no idea it's been any longer than five seconds. Um, just because, I mean, I don't work the same and I spent my whole life beating myself up about that um, to the point where I would do I was in self-harm because I just, I never felt like I belonged. I always felt like I was an alien. Like I was, to quote Evan Hansen, waving through a window. Everyone else was outside and I'm just stuck in this little bubble and totally different. And I don't know how to get out there. Um, so ADHD, learning I was ADHD really has helped me so much. And now I know how to work with myself instead of, fighting myself like ADHD some people view it as a weakness when it's all just it's all in how you use it ADHD was my weakness for years and years and years and then I learned that I had it and now I would say it's one of my strongest points um just because it does it has good things that come with it and it has bad things that come with it you learn how to work with that and my life has gotten so much less stressful and healthier and just all around I am just so grateful that I learned and I know I had a very interesting process I've in my process of my diagnosis I had some doctors tell me that I couldn't have ADHD because only guys could have ADHD um and a bunch of stuff like that <clears throat> um so it was a very interesting experience uh, but I do know there are a few kids, like my mom's a teacher, there are a few people that just within my family's little branch of influence, our tiny little thing, there are people that I know who have also been diagnosed with it since because they heard my story and decided to go out and get tested themselves. And because of it, their lives are so much easier. And I am just so grateful that A, that I learned and that B, that other people are learning it about themselves as well because going out your going through your entire life hating yourself for something that you cannot control is i want to say the most miserable thing yeah you can never feel yeah it's yeah it's definitely something that i think a lot of people i personally think that adhd has definitely gotten a lot better at people talking about that because i feel like we're now getting to a point where like oh you're adhd oh me too and then it's like all these different variations where I think, and you guys could probably relate this who are listening, 
I know there are variations when it comes to people who are not necessarily, who are born to be not as good at math or who are born to be not as good at writing or are born to be not as creative. Um, and there's like those kinds of variations. There are people who there's like a, there's a hyper version of ADHD where people are like so easily distracted. They can't complete like certain tasks and like, and they have to do things in a certain order. And there's people who have very low functioning ADHD where they become so lazy that they, they don't do anything. They just sit on the couch all day. Like it, there's all these different variations of it when, and a lot of people don't necessarily know, I guess, what's, what's the, what are like the better variations of it? What are like the weird, like the, the not so good variations of it? So I think it's one of those things that I think a lot of people, I think, I think I've taken the time, I guess, to a lot more know because it's becoming more common, I think. And it's like, yeah. you know, and I think that's one of the interesting things, you know, for myself being autistic, it's like one of those things where like, first of all, we're behind the game on you guys. You guys are definitely, you're definitely, there are definitely more of you than there are of me, but like in that <laughs> sense, but in a sense also that I think also by ADHD getting more recognition, I think with more people having it, which is obviously not a good thing, but having that recognition leads us to having more conversations about other mental health issues like autism. Yeah. Like, um, like, uh, like, like, no, I was about to say Alzheimer's. I don't know why I was thinking Alzheimer's, but like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like other mental yeah. health issues that I think a lot of like people in our generation coming into this, coming into our phase of adulthood, I think we can have the opportunity to talk about, but, um, I did do, want to do before we let you go, do you want to go over a couple quick news things? We're calling this, we have a new segment on the show. Um, that I wanted to announce because we're now in week two, because I'm trying to test things out. You know, we're trying to test things out. We're trying to make the show fun. Um, so we're calling this little segment, we're calling it Flashing Lights. Flashing Lights. Light. Light. So we're going to do a quick Flashing Lights where I'm going to say quick new stuff, and I want you to give your opinion in less than 15 seconds, okay? Ah! So, all right, so here's oh, what we're going to do, all right? I'm so it's, a guinea pig for this. All right, guinea pig for this? All right, so you can either ah, say it's good, no. you can either say it's bad, whatever you want to say, all right? Number one, all right, we're going to start. We're going to start in three, two, one, go. There's a new Wicked movie adaptation coming out in a couple of years, and the cast has already been announced, and it's going to feature both Ariana Grande and Cynthia Riva. What are your thoughts? I don't, I'm not sure it's going to go well, but I'm interested to see how it, how it turns out. Okay. All right. So that's number one. Number two. Number two. Flash. In the first two months of Broadway returning, they had more returns in their first two months back than any two-month period in the history of Broadway. What are your thoughts? People have missed Broadway. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> People have missed Broadway. That's that. I think honestly, that's I think that's a that's a very simple thing. But uh, but for and I, but I want you to give another guess too. You have to guess, and this is very quick. Guess the top three highest-grossing shows in the first two months returning from Broadway. Flash. The oh, three okay. shows that made the uh, most money. Go. Doesn't you don't have to say the order? You don't have to say the order. Just the three shows. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to say Wicked, Chicago, and Hamilton. No, it was Hamilton, no? Wicked, and Phantom. It was Hamilton, Wicked, and Phantom. Phantom. Yeah. Hey, I yeah, only missed Chicago. And that was Flashing Lights. Flashing Lights. Thank you so much, Lily, for coming on the show today. I really, really do appreciate it. It's definitely, I think a lot of people who are listening definitely now at least have some new perspective on my life and this new this new corner of my life that we're now going to be experiencing a lot on this show. So thank you so much for being here. I yeah, really do appreciate it. Of course. It. Thanks uh, for but, having me. It's yes. So thank you guys fun. so much for listening as well. If you're on the Point of Information podcast, this is episode three. We're three episodes down, guys. We are crunching. We are. We'll see you guys on Friday for episode four. Peace out. Hey, town. Woo! -hoo!